right. Turn your Bibles to the book of Mark in chapter number four. Thank you again, Pastor Stewart, for the invitation to be here and for the good food so far. Actually, both times we've been here. We stopped by in November of last year. We were passing through. They took us to some amazing food then, and then I found out the difference between Japanese food and Chinese food yesterday, and that was very good as well. They're very similar, but just Japanese food tastes a good bit better, it seems like, so amen for that. Yes. And then we had some good Mexican food, and one of the only places I think I found in the U.S. that had like a mango juice at a Mexican restaurant. I mean, in Mexico, you'll have all sorts of different stuff like that. But in the States, it's just kind of hit and miss what stuff that's actually in Mexico you're going to find in a Mexican restaurant. And that mango juice, that is definitely something I enjoy finding anywhere, especially in a restaurant. That was definitely a blessing. The food was very good, too. Mark chapter number four is where we'll be. Book of Mark in chapter number four. We'll start in verse number 35 towards the end of the chapter there. And here the Bible says, Mark chapter number 44. Mark chapter number 40. Mark chapter number 4, verse number 35 says, In the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And we'll pray at this time. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you for gathering us here together safely this evening, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't have gathered in vain, but I pray, Lord, that you would use this time to work in all of our hearts and minds. Guide my words and guide my thoughts, Lord, and use this sermon, use your word, Lord, to accomplish whatever purpose you see fit, to help us follow you better this week. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the passage we just read, Jesus had been preaching to a multitude by the Sea of Galilee. He was standing there in a boat, and he was preaching from that boat to a multitude who was gathered there on the shore. That's not something I'd probably be able to do because I'd probably get to about the second point and uh, I couldn't stomach it anymore because of the waves and whatnot, but our Savior was able to do that. Maybe that's a miracle in and of itself. I don't know. But he was there doing that and he was teaching parables to that multitude that was gathered there. Now, after he was done, he had finished up, evening had come, and he wanted to pass over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples got the ship ready and they began sailing to the other side. Now, what's interesting if we think about it is these disciples, they weren't trying to look up in the library how to sail a boat across the Sea of Galilee at that point. They weren't trying to look it up on Google or YouTube or anything like that. They didn't have those resources, obviously. But they actually, some of them were experienced fishermen already. They were young, but they had many years that they had spent on that very Sea of Galilee fishing and in boats and doing these different things. And now they were using that in the master's service. And sometimes we may think, well, that's what I used to do. It's something I have the ability to do, but how is that useful for ministry? The disciples, they were told they were going to be fishers of men. They were told to cast down their nets, but here they are back on the sea, back at the boat, and 
God is still able to use those talents and abilities, and he can do that for us too. There are things that we may be able to do that we don't realize that would actually be very useful and helpful in the service of our master. And I don't know what that is. Your pastor might be able to give you more insight on where the church needs help, what can be helpful in that. But there's a lot of things we can do that we don't even realize could be helpful to our Savior. Now, while the disciples were doing that, they were in the back of the ship sleeping, or Jesus was in the back of the ship sleeping. The disciples weren't. Jesus was taking a bit of a nap. He had spent a lot of time preaching. So, I mean, it's basically your pastor getting a Sunday afternoon nap right there, basically, after a time of preaching and teaching, taking that nap. It's very important. It takes, you out, it, takes it out of you teaching, preaching, whatever it is, believe me. Just kidding. Your pastor actually made a very good comment about this passage. It was a C-esta. He told me about that after lunch uh, this afternoon. So that's, he's got some great insight there on the Bible right there. Siesta is Spanish for nap, for those of you who don't know. And some of you will get that on the way home this evening. So as he was taking that nap, there was a storm that came and water started getting into the boat. There was a bit too much sea in that siesta at that point. But in all seriousness, if water's starting to get into a boat, that's not a good thing. Um, I don't know much about water. I can paddle a canoe all right sometimes, but I can tell you this. If there's too much water in a vessel, you've got a problem. And the Sea of Galilee is not just a little lake. It was about eight miles, or it is still about eight miles by 13 miles. So that's a pretty hefty swim if you end up uh, losing your vessel in the middle of that sea. If it ends up sinking, you're probably going to be going down shortly after it. And that is a very big problem. But what was wrong with what the disciples did? Let's think about this, though. They said, carest thou not that we perish? They weren't saying, hey, Jesus, we're about to drown. It's like, do you even care about us? That's a very, very big problem that they doubted even our Savior's care for them. So what does Jesus do? First, he rebuked the storm. We're familiar with that. He said, peace, be still. And then there was a great call. But he didn't stop at rebuking the storm. He also rebuked his disciples. Now, he wasn't just upset that he got woke up from his nap there. The disciples, I don't say that they were wrong to wake Jesus. The problem is, is they let fear take over in their hearts and that place that faith was supposed to have in their hearts and in their minds. So some things we'll think about here this evening. Number one, the storm is not greater than the master. In our world today, we're facing some storms. There are difficulties that we've been facing now for some years, different things have come up in our world, in this country. There may be difficulties you're facing in this area, this church. Well, I guess you're facing a lot of sickness right now, and that in and of itself is a bit of a storm. And there's a lot of difficulties that are probably going along with that. You may be facing storms that I don't know about, either in your family or just on your own. You may be facing those. Those come up in life. If we looked at the story here in Mark 4, Jesus was able to calm that storm instantly, and he possesses that same power over every storm, literal and figurative, in this world today. He can take care of that in an instant. But number two, we have to realize, Jesus knows how much water the ship can take. So I told you that I'm a very, not, well, I'm not a very experienced canoe captain, but I've Paddled a canoe a few times, gone on a couple canoe rides, kayak rides and stuff. One time I was in a canoe, and there was actually a little bit of water starting to come into that canoe. It was after we had been going for a while, and it was a very small amount of water. So I'm, it was probably like the first or second time I was canoeing. The person I was with had a bit more experience. I said, yeah, that's nothing to worry about. And it ended up being nothing to worry about. We were able to just keep paddling on, not an issue, because of that little bit of water there at the bottom. 
But obviously, if it would have been more, it would have been a big problem. But as we go through life, we can handle sometimes more than we realize. We have to realize that Christ does know us more than we know ourselves. And as we go through these trials and difficulties, these storms, if you will, they're not meant to destroy us. They're meant to strengthen our faith and strengthen our dependency on God. As we think back to the disciples, they weren't wrong to turn to Christ when they did. That was a good thing to turn to Jesus. It is a good thing for us to take our problems to Jesus, but we can't go doubting his care for us. We know he cares for us. That's what the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That is still in the Bible. That is still our Savior's heart. Now, the disciples, how were they wrong? They weren't just taking their problem to Jesus. They were doubting his care. They were letting fear take over in their hearts, and fear took over so they couldn't grow their faith the way they needed to. And as we go through trials, as we face difficulties, they're not meant to leave us in fear. They're meant to strengthen our faith and strengthen our dependency on our God. So number three, our focus needs to stay on Jesus and his power, no matter how turbulent things may get. But I will say this, yes, our focus needs to stay there so we can grow our faith. When we have our focus on our Savior the way we need to, that will have a great impact on our faith. That will help us to be able to get through future trials even better and help others through the trials and storms that they go through. But I say all this realizing that storms are a frightening thing. We think about another story on the Sea of Galilee when Peter was walking out to our Savior on the water. As he was doing that, what happened? He got distracted by the storm around him. It grabbed his attention. If you think about a storm, yes, rain can be kind of a calming thing. You know, that nice rain on a tin roof. If you ever experienced that, that'll put you right to sleep. Thankfully, that's not happening right now. Otherwise, you'd all be gone. I'd probably be asleep too. But as that storm happens, that clap of thunder, that grabs our attention. That instantly gets us looking. Where did that come from? Where did that loud noise come from? Where did that bright flash come from? We want to know. We're just intrigued by it. Our minds are wired to just be drawn in by something that dramatic and that um, attention grabbing. And in life, as we go through the difficulties we're facing, that can get our attention pretty easily. If you want to see how easy it is to have your attention distracted, go to a gas pump right now, because that's kind of a storm in our world right now. And the ones in South Carolina, they seem to, I like these ones a lot better, because some of the ones like up in like New York, over in California, I don't like those gas pumps. Those numbers are way too high. But even here, it's just a lot higher than you've been used to paying, I'm sure. And that can get your attention on that pretty quickly. I know as we've traveled, we pumped a lot of gas into our van, thousands and thousands of dollars, literally, into that van and gasoline. And as we've done that, sometimes I'm thinking, okay, I can leave a little gospel track in the handle there. Sometimes, though, I'm just thinking, man, this is so expensive. This is ridiculous. It doesn't have to be this way. There's a lot of things that could be done by our policymakers to make this a lot cheaper, but it's not happening. And as I'm thinking about those things, I'm, as I'm distracted by the storm, normally I'm not thinking about leaving a tract in that gas pump and that my focus isn't where it needs to be and I'm not where I can be for my Savior there. But that's the nature of loud noises. That's the nature of it. So what does that mean? Number four, we would probably need to refocus in order to maintain faith. We can't just plan on having our focus set on Jesus and it just staying there. We'll need to refocus and re-up that focus in order to maintain our faith. We cannot let a loss of focus be a long-term condition in our hearts and in our minds. So that word focus, I don't know about you, but it makes me think of a camera. It is kind of a camera photography 
term focus is a part of a camera. We all have cameras now on our phones. And we're not as familiar with like the older style cameras, but I do kind of, I guess, have one that's a little bit of that style, that DSLR, where you've got all the buttons and switches. I bought it before my first trip to Mexico because I've read a book that said, hey, you need to get good pictures of your field so that you can have good presentations and materials and stuff for deputation. So I went ahead and did that, got a Nikon DSLR camera, and it took great pictures for that. It's taken, I've taken tens of thousands of pictures in different stuff. I think I've got about 10,000 pictures just in Mexico, and I'm using about five of them. So yes, that's about how photography works. But I've got that camera, and it works great for a lot of different things. When COVID really hit, now it was uh, 2020, so that's been some time ago. When that was happening about March of 2020, when that first started, our church was only having live streamed services at that time. And my wife and I were working in the children's ministry, the junior church ministry. And we had been doing a puppet show when we decided, hey, we can record a puppet show and put it online so the kids can just watch it online. And as I was thinking, okay, we can do that, but what am I going to do? I don't really have anything to hold my phone camera, but I've got this camera. I've got a tripod for it. I might as well use this. Now, Nikon cameras are great. I love them. But the only thing is, is when you're recording video with a Nikon camera, for some reason, someone decided it would be a good idea to have it completely go out of focus, right about like 45 seconds or one minute into the video, and just completely refocus. And it would be a lengthy process. It wouldn't just like a little blip out of focus and back in. It would just go completely out of focus for my camera, and then completely out of focus the other way, and then it would get back in focus. And you'd hear the focus motor going. It would just be completely distracting. So I said, you know what? I can turn off the autofocus. I have a switch on my camera designed just to do that, so I put it into manual focus. Did that for the video. Video was focused. Everything was great. And we did those videos for a time. Obviously, we went back to in-person services, and everything continued with that. But at a certain time after that, not very long, I think it was just that summer after, my wife and I, we were going on a little bit of a hike, and I was taking pictures as we were going. I thought it was at least a decently scenic area. I was taking some pictures. And as I was taking those pictures, there's normally a button I hit on the back of the camera to have that autofocus work. So I would be pushing that button, and I started to realize after about probably 40 or 50 pictures that that button wasn't doing anything. The camera was not refocusing. And I did everything I could to make it autofocus, refocus, and it wouldn't do it. So at first I'm thinking, the camera's broken. Oh, no, I'm going to have to get a new camera. Hopefully it's the camera, not the lens. I think the camera's still in warranty. The lens is not in warranty anymore. And as I was thinking about all that stuff, then I looked at the side of the camera and realized, oh, it's in manual focus. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Flip the switch. Everything focused just fine. All was well. I still have the blurry pictures from that first part, but what good are blurry pictures? No one really cares to see blurry pictures. As I've told this story at different churches, no one's come up to me afterwards saying, hey, can I look at your blurry pictures? Because no one wants to see them. What good are they? But when we're distracted, when we've lost our focus on our Savior, how profitable are we to our Savior? How effective can we be as servants of our Master? We have to flip that switch in our mind to have that focus to where it needs to be. We need to grow that ability to flip that switch and to be able to have that focus the way it needs to be. But that focus comes from this. It comes from God's Word, learning it, studying it, applying it in our lives. It's letting the Bible dictate our living and our thinking. It's looking at the world through the glasses of the Scriptures, if you will. Now, I'm not saying we need to duct tape our Bibles to our faces, although that could be helpful at some level in our world today. But what we need to do is we need to realize these Bible principles, they play out in our world today. They do matter. The Bible is still just as relevant as it was when it was first written. 
before the ink was dry. It was just as true now as it was then. And it's just as applicable for us as it was for our parents, for our grandparents, for our great-grandparents. And it can still work in our hearts and our minds today. And we need to let it do that. We need to look at things through the perspective of really how God sees things. Because that is the truth. That is how things actually are. We think about the disciples. They were looking at things from an earthly perspective in this story. That's why they were worried. That's why they didn't even think Jesus cared about them as he slept through the storm. Because they were just focused on the circumstances and the problems. They didn't realize that the person sitting or sleeping in the back of the boat was the one who had made water itself that had allowed that storm to come. He knew when those trees were planted that became the wood that made that boat. And he had made that whole world, and yet they were concerned that he couldn't handle that storm. He was easily able to handle it. But what did they learn from this? I mean, they were marveling at this afterwards, but did they really realize, hey, he has power over this. He can take care of these things. Let's turn to the book of Mark in chapter number 8. Book of Mark, in chapter number 8. And here we'll read just verse number 31. Mark, chapter number 8, verse number 31, the Bible says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. So here our Savior explains to his disciples what will happen to him when crucifixion time comes. He's letting them know that it's prophesied in the Old Testament, so they have that, and then they have this record. He is giving them here, hey, I'm going to be crucified, but after three days, I will rise again. He explains that to them, right after Peter says in verse 29, thou art the Christ. And Peter then rebukes him after Jesus says, hey, this is what's going to happen to me, but it's like, why would you do that? Jesus is explaining what's going to happen. He knows. He's got the complete view of time Already, he exists outside of time, our God does, but they ignore that, I guess. And as we think about, as they have this knowledge with them, as they have our Savior's word in their minds, what do they do when crucifixion time comes? We know Peter denied our Lord. We know Judas betrayed our Lord. We know John stayed near the cross. But the other nine disciples, they all ran and fled. Most of the, all but one of the disciples fled from Jesus And John was just there to comfort Mary through that time. After he was buried, they knew the time frame. It was three days. They knew that they could wait that long and he would be arisen. But none of them were waiting for it. None of them were anticipating it. They were all surprised. They were all shocked. We're tough on Thomas for doubting, but they were all hiding in fear up until they heard the news that Jesus had risen. And then they still were probably hesitant to believe it at first, but they were told it was going to happen. They were given the layout of what was going to happen. They could look to Old Testament prophecy to realize this is how this is going to work. And yet with all of that, they were still surprised. But how are we any different as we go about our lives and just kind of ignorantly go through, not realizing, yes, Scripture applies here. Yes, I need to follow what the Bible says here. Yes, I need to obey it. I need to be yielded to this book Because it's more than just a book. This is the words of our Savior to us, the words of our Lord to us to help us get through life on this earth and be honoring and pleasing to Him. And if we don't follow it, if we ignore it, it's going to be to our own detriment. 
We have to learn and apply the scriptures to our lives. We have to live out its principles. As we study our Bible, we can't just treat it like another book because this is far different from any other book. This is a holy book. It's an inspired book. It is a book that is written exactly for us with, to help us with whatever needs we will have. Our logic, our reason, they won't trump proper context of the Bible. We have to read the Bible yielded to obey it, and we have to obey what we know is right in the Bible. As we try to learn stuff from this, we can only learn so much at a time. As kids go through school, they start with the very basics of what letters are and what numbers are. We don't try to teach them algebra in kindergarten. That, that probably wouldn't go well. Do you think that's a good idea? Anyone, anyone think that's a good idea? Start with algebra in kindergarten? That's insane. We wouldn't think about doing that. They have to start with the basics, and then they have to grow in their knowledge and be able to get to a point where they can actually understand that because there's a lot that builds into that. As we start reading and studying the Bible, there's a lot of it that will build together, and there are things that will tie together that we'll start to understand more as we're reading it more, as we're memorizing more, as we're meditating on it more. And then we'll be able to really grow and see so much more of what God actually has for us in his word. And as we're doing that, we'll find it's very easy to focus on our Savior. We'll see what God did in the Bible. We'll remember what God did for people in the Bible. We'll realize that he is the same God today that has the same power today and could still work miracles in some ways for us Today, we can see him work in those ways. I've been able to see him work just since the last time we were here in November. We have seen God work in miraculous ways. I talked about gas prices being high and going through that storm. I could also tell you that somehow God has paid for all of that and worked that all out in spite of those prices. Even though this is probably, I mean, since we started January, or about February of 2021, part-time traveling, Gas prices had steadily increased through about June. They went down a little bit, but they're still not what they were back then. But God's still taking care of it. God is still providing. He's still taking care of us. And it is an awesome thing to see. Now, I could either be miserable and just focused on all the problems, or I can say, you know what? God can get me through this. He's gotten me through so much. He's gotten so many people in the Bible through so much. He can help me through this. He can help you through your storm as well. Now, we do need to refocus. We do need to prepare our minds. We do need to have that proper focus on our Savior, but why? What's so important? Why did they go through the storm? Why did they cross the Sea of Galilee at that time? Let's turn to the book of Mark in chapter number five, just back a couple pages. I mean, our Savior knew that the storm was coming. Maybe they could have waited it out. Was there a big rush to this? Why did our Savior want to get across so quickly? Book of Mark in chapter number five. We'll start here in verse number one, right where our story picks up. And here the Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains. The chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said to him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, 
for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and the, all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So what was waiting on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Why was Jesus so eager to cross at that point in time? What was so important about that timing? When we look back at verse 2, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, or met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So as soon as they got over to that other side of the Sea of Galilee, after they got through the storm, after it was calmed, immediately when they got to that other side, there was a man that needed help from Jesus. That's about what I could say about this. There was a man that only Jesus could help in this instance. And Jesus was able to help him. If Jesus would have waited a little bit longer, who knows if that maniac would have been somewhere else. If they would have tried to leave sooner, they wouldn't have been able to teach that multitude those parables, or Jesus wouldn't have been able to teach that multitude some of those other parables. But in God's perfect timing, they got to that other side just in time to help this man. And Jesus was able to help this man. And he was able to deliver him from that. As we go through storms, as we face difficulties, we may be surprised to find that there's a lot of people that do need help from Jesus and that God wants us to point to Jesus during the storms and after the storms. Yes, there's been a lot of ministry that is more difficult because of COVID. There's a lot of different parts of that. I've been in many pulpits where a lot of church members have left because of different things with COVID. There's been a lot of problems because of it. But I can also say this, there are some churches that have grown through COVID. There's some ministries that have grown through COVID. There are people that may have trusted Jesus as their Savior that wouldn't have were it not for COVID. You have a lot of people around my age that are painfully aware that death is a reality. Normally people my age are putting off salvation, thinking, no, I don't need to worry about that now. I can wait till later for that. There's things I want to do with my life before I worry about that stuff. And those excuses are becoming more few that I'm seeing. And that is a very good thing and a very important thing. There are opportunities that we have with other difficulties we're going through to say, hey, Christ can help us through this. My Savior is more powerful than this problem. We can have faith in our God. That in and of itself can point people to Jesus, but we can have those opportunities to witness and to minister that result because of the storm. I've heard someone say that those cliffs of Gadara, they overlooked the Sea of Galilee, but that maniac would have had a bird's eye view of that storm, and he would have seen that storm disappear. It probably didn't happen very often. That may have been what grabbed his attention. I don't know. That's speculation. All I know is this, is that after the storm happened, he did get the help from Jesus. He began being a missionary to his own people and began telling, hey, this is what Jesus did for me. He can do that and more for you. And that was because they were willing to go through that storm and see that. So as we face these difficulties, as we face these storms, we need to take advantage of the opportunities to minister that do come our way. And we need to be willing to help others and point them to Jesus through these storms and after these storms. I will pray at this time, and your pastor will come and take the service after I pray.